And we pray, Father, that you would encourage us. And you would show us, oh God, the destruction of our own decisions that are not made from scriptural basis. That, Lord, you would reveal to us not to be anxious for anything, but to learn how to wait upon the Lord. And, Lord, that you are the one, oh God, who are ordering our steps. You're the one who's placing us on higher ground. You're the one who promotes us or demotes us. You're the one who opens the doors and closes the doors. You're the one that we're looking to. Help us, oh God, to fix our eyes on you and nothing else. Lord, minister to us today through your word. Help us, Lord, to captivate your word. And help us to believe it. Not to just be hearers of it but to be a people who believe it. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Lukewarmness. Revelations, chapter 3, starting at verse 14. How many of you live in lukewarmness? How many of church today is living in lukewarmness? Rather than in an energetic, passionate, heart and love for the Lord. Now, what is a lukewarm state? It is the circumstances and attitude. Understand something. You cannot control your circumstances. You can't dictate what's going to come into your life or not into your life. What you can control is the attitude. It is the circumstances and the attitude that characterizes the present living conditions in which we choose to live. Which we choose to live. Because something is happening in life does not mean it will go on forever and ever and ever. And sometimes you have to say to yourself what scripture says, this too shall pass, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. How quickly it passed might depend upon our attitude. Our attitude. In Jeremiah 8 and verse 4, I believe it is, it says, do we not fall? But don't we get up? You have a choice. If you fall, you can lie there and lie there until somebody comes along and helps. Or you can do what? Pick yourself up. In therapy, I had to learn how to pick myself up, how to crawl over to a chair. What's the first thing I need to do? Get these arms up to the chair, to the seating, not to the armrest, but to the seating. And then try to get one knee up, up, up under me. And then try to pick myself up. Well, sometimes that don't work, depending on how bad the fall is and how weak the person might be. 
but is doing one thing after another in order to pick yourself up. Lukewarm state is living a Christian life in one's own self-way. I'm going to do this thing my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. No. You have a choice to do it God's way or do it your way. Transparency moment. The other day I was having lunch with another pastor. And somewhere in our conversation, he asked me, Gus, are you ready to retire? I said, I am, but the Lord's not. He said, what do you mean? I said, I've been ready over a year. He said, can you explain that? I said, I have nothing in me that would fight to stay up here in the pulpit. I have nothing in me that would really say I would be envious of somebody else if they took my place up here. But God is the one who has said, not yet. Not yet. And and, and that can be a battle inside. But that's the battle we all face, don't we? For you are fighting not against just flesh and blood, but you, you have this war going on between who? The flesh and the spirit. What you want to do and what the spirit wants you to do. How you want to act and respond and how the spirit wants you to act and respond. You always have this clashing, this battle going on. And who will you yield to? Who would you yield to? Are you going to do it your way? Or are you going to do it God's way? And that's the question we have to answer. Will I live the way God wants me to live? Or am I going to live the way I want to live and do things when I want to do them? Now, go to Revelation 14 with me. Revelation, I'm sorry, verse, chapter 3 and verse 14. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. It reads, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I am about to spew you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize, you do not realize that you are ratchet, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those who love 
Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Or be honest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes. To him that overcomes his feeling. Him that overcomes his condition. Him that overcomes. I will give. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear that what the Spirit says. Why? In verse 14, he gives us a description of the one who bears witness to our lives. He gives us a description of one who bears witness to our lives. Oftentimes we think nobody's taking note of our life, of how we're living, the decisions we're making. But God is a God who keeps perfect records. And he notes everything you do. He knows your real intention. Well, my intention might be to do this, but the only reason I have this intention to do this because I want to do that. And God really knows your true intention of your decisions that you make. And why you're making that decision. Is it to glorify him or is it to comfort self? Is it to allow him to use you even in your worst state? Or is it for yourself? And he says, I have a witness. Now, look at the description here of that witness that is so important. And we're going to jump the first one. We'll come back. He says, amen. But the first thing about this witness, he's faithful. He never slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't miss one iota of your life. His eye is always upon you. Why? If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're the little man, you're the little person in his eye. You are always in his eyes. He has you in his hands, no matter what you're going through. He got you. He's holding on to you. It's not so much you holding on to him. He's holding on to you. He got you. He's faithful. He's faithful. And then it says he's a true witness. What he records is true. What he says about you is true. Even though you don't like it, it's true. Because he is a what? A true witness. And what you want on the witness stand at court is a true witness. Someone who will really tell what? Tell the truth. Someone who will tell the truth. That's what you want when somebody speaks to you. You don't want somebody saying something to you just to make you feel good. And as Christians, that's some of the biggest lies we tell. Oh, girl, you look good and on the inside, you need to go back home and redo. 
Even with the men sometimes, oh, you did a good job, you did a good job. And after they leave, we start making the repairs or correcting it. People say don't criticize people. It's not sometimes criticism. It's speaking truth. It's speaking truth. Because people cannot correct themselves unless they know what? Truth. Truth. And the truth sometimes is hard to bear. Sometimes the truth is hard to accept, especially when it's coming where? Directly at me. It's hard to accept the truth about me. And he says, he's a true witness. And third, he says, he's the ruler of God's creation. He's the organizer of God's creation. He is the reason the creation is here. And now if you really admit you are a creation of God, you have to admit this. He's the ruler. If you admit you are a creation of God, your life is because of God. Then it says he's the ruler of it. He's the ruler of it. And then we go back to that word, amen. It is that saying, verily, verily, surely, surely. Remember the folks down south would say, sure enough. And what it means is simply this. It is. It is. So it is. So be it. You have to look in the mirror and look at yourself and say, this is the truth about me. This is the truth about me. And that's what he's doing with the church here. Because sometimes in life, we think we're doing great. We think we're doing this. And we measure ourselves with other people sometimes. And the scripture tells us don't measure ourselves by But in this mind, we can deceive and trick ourselves, saying, I'm okay. And when everything in my life is messed up, and everything around me is messed up, and I can see it in my children, I can see it in my friends, I can see it in everything I do, it's really messed up that I'm not willing to make a change. Because... I'm the captain of my ship. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do what the Lord says to do. And therefore, I allow Satan to lie to me. Don't believe that Bible. Don't believe that truth. That there's written by a whole bunch of other group of men. That there's written because of this. Or that's written by this or that. Either the Bible's true or it's totally a lie. One or the other. And every one of us have to make up our mind about that. And the word amen simply means where a lot of us have come to recognize, I agree. I agree. So when God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, everybody has to what? I agree. I'm a sinner. And I fall short of God's grace. I fall short of what God would have me to be. I fall short. And I have to agree with God. 
the hardest struggle we'll have as Christians is this. Agree with the scriptures about myself. Oh, I'll agree very quickly as long as it's talking about Brother Henry there. Yeah, man, that did right. It hit you right on the head, didn't it? But it missed me this much. But as long as I'm talking about somebody else, it's okay. But when it comes right here, boy, that's why the scripture says, it's not about another man examining you. He says for you to do what? Examine yourself. You got to search your own self to see if what you're doing is really pleasing to God. And he, he goes on, he says, in the historical aspect of looking at these seven churches, some people say that there are seven dispensations, seven different period, time periods. And that could be. Others say, these are seven things that could be part of a church. Could be the character of the church. And these are the things in which the church somewhat should look out for because any of these characteristics could be found in the church. The whole process is that we take one scripture from out of the church of Philippi where it says, boy, since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trials that is going to come upon the whole earth. And we span that over all the churches. Well, that, did, that wasn't said to what? All the churches. That was only said to one of the churches. But then we take it and we expand it to all the churches. And I would say to you or suggest to you, what you read about in each one of these churches could be true in our church, in any individual church. Not just seven different dispensations or the very last church. So in Ephesus it says, you lost your first love. Could any church lose its first love? Could any church move Christ from being the preeminent to a secondary position? Yes. Smyrna, the synagogue of Satan. Could we become the synagogue of Satan? And a lot of churches have. We have every day under the sun for something. But the main purpose of the church is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It's nice, it's okay to have an usher's day, a choir's day, a deaconess day, or this day, elder's day, but it is the Lord's day. We don't find in scripture any of those other things. And we need to keep the church focused on who? Jesus Christ and the worship of Jesus Christ and the praise of Christ. It's not pastor anniversary day. He don't need it. Because the focus is on Jesus Christ, not pastor. Jesus Christ. Smyrna, you made the synagogue of Satan. Pergamos, people who hold the teaching of Baal and Nicolaitan. Oh, you could be teaching something else. 
You could be teaching something else other than Scripture. And people will accept it and people will follow it. And today a lot of people, they don't carry their electronic Bible or the regular Bible. They don't want to have anything to do with Bible. And yet they want to talk about Bible, have no knowledge of Bible. Other than their opinion of Bible. Thyatara. You tolerate Jezebel's teaching. Boy, you tolerate a false teaching. And in churches today, there can be false teaching. And the church tolerates it. The congregation tolerates it. Sardis. It is the prayer that sometimes I pray, Lord, wake us up, wake us up. Because it's so easy to do what? Fall asleep. And when you fall asleep, you do absolutely what? Nothing. And the, and the church should be a vibrant, active organism for the kingdom of God. Can't do what you used to do. I can't do what I used to do. I can still do something. Can't walk as far as I used to walk, but I can still walk a little ways. And he says, wake up. Church of Philadelphia, he said, there are some in that midst of you guys that you're allowed to be in there that call themselves Jews or call themselves Christians, and they are not. Then he gets to that church that we're looking at in Laodicea, lukewarm. You're lukewarm. Now, look at that verse 16 with me in Revelation 3. Look at that verse 16. He says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spew you out of my mouth. First of all, it's a warning. Before God ever punishes us, before God ever does anything to us, he always warns us. Go back in the Old Testament and you'll always see God warning Israel to change their ways, to repent, to do this. He always gives a warning before your failure. We're the ones that have to be willing to listen. We're the ones who have to be willing to hear. The pastor asked me as we were talking, and uh, he said, you know, I, I, I got some folks in the church. They just say, uh, Romans 10, 17, uh, faith cometh by hearing of the word. And the only thing we got to do is give them the word, give them the word, give them the word. And he's telling me all the things he said. <clears throat> and I said, have you ever thought about what God said? He said, my people don't listen. So you can give them the word, but they're not what? Listening. If you don't listen, it's just going in this ear and right on out. If you're listening, you take a moment to analyze what you've heard. To Evaluate what you heard. Is it true? Could it be true? And you 
want to search it out for yourself. You want to have a deeper understanding of what has been said. You want to know more about what has been said. Why? Now you're listening. That doesn't mean you quickly agree, but you're listening. And as Paul said, search it out for yourself. Search it out. Understand this. Pastors will lie. Pastors will teach heresy. Search it out for yourself to see if it's true or not. And then he moved on because he gives a warning to them. I'm about ready to spew you out. I'm about ready to put you out. That's a warning. It hasn't happened. So he's talking about something that will take place where? In the future. Now he doesn't give a time. He doesn't say one week, one month, one year. What he does allow them to know, I will spew you out of my mouth. And what he's saying, you're unacceptable. You're unacceptable. How many of you put something in your mouth and it's just foul or it's rotten or it don't taste right? What happens? You could be that kind of a taste in God's mind where he's trying and because you just don't taste right. He said, I'll just spew you out. But that's a future tip. So he's giving you time to what? To repent. He's giving you time to correct. He's giving you time to turn and do it the right way. Then the other thing is simply this. It could happen. There's this falseness in Christianity Because I'm saved, God won't do anything to me. I can commit adultery because I'm under grace and God won't do a thing to me. See? I can go out here and steal and lie and cheat and God won't do a thing to me. Because the only thing I got to do is just say a little prayer. Lord, forgive me. But I forget what scripture says. You'll weep what you you are forgiven. But there's consequences with your sin. There's consequences with the sin. You're forgiven. But the consequences may not be removed. And oftentimes we don't think about that. The consequences of our action that we take. What it's going to do to others, how it might hurt others, the effects upon others. Those things are not removed quickly. And yet, you are forgiven. But somebody is suffering because of your behavior, your action. And you're suffering because of it. Now, here's the problem. Look at verse 17. Because here's the problem. And here lies our problem also. He says in that verse 17, you say, the moment you start telling God what is right, there's a problem. 
The moment you start saying, God, you don't understand what I got to deal with, that's the problem. The moment you say, God, uh, that person that you created and put in my life, that's the problem. Well, God may have put that person in your life to knock you down a little bit. You don't know. Hey. It's kind of hard to say, God, I'm not thankful for this, when God says, give thanks for all things. Which one is it? Am I giving thanks for all things? Or am I complaining about what he's done or what he's allowed in my life? What is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to reveal to me? And understand that every one of these churches, they thought they were doing great. And God had to reveal to them what their problem was. This one thing I hold against you. Oh, God, we're doing great. We're doing wonderful. We're magnificent. We love you, Lord. We're in your service, and we're doing this, and we're doing that. And God said, this one thing I hold against you. Because in our own eyesight, we're just like in the book of Judges. We all think we're right. We all think we're right. And the very first words there, you say. When you say you say or you say it, what do you compare it with? When you say something, what do you compare it with? When you say it, do you take a moment and hear what Scripture says? Do you take a moment to try and look and see if this is what Scripture will allow or disallow? When you say it, how do you challenge yourself to see if it's really concrete and if there's some value here? He says, you say it. You say, I am rich. Well, what is rich? A hundred thousand? Two hundred thousand? See, we're going to find out how rich Trump really is. The whole thing is, what is rich? Is it having five billion dollars? Two billion dollars? What is rich? See, I'm rich in health. Because I have a healer. Yet knowing the reality of what's going on in my body. Yet I'm still rich. I have nowhere near a million dollars. Yet I'm rich. Because I have one who supplies my needs. I'm rich. And they're saying they're rich without Jesus Christ. They're looking at their own wealth. And one of the things that will cause you to come to that place of lukewarmness is when you depend only on yourself. He again says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And do not need a thing. I don't need nothing. 
I got house, car, money in the bank. I got this and I got that. And yet, you're not even able to keep yourself. Go over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I believe it's verse 18. Yeah, 18 and 19. Luke 12. <clears throat> you can't even keep yourself. And even all the money you have and all the riches you have, you can't keep yourself. He says, therefore, in 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Hey, he'd been successful. He owns this and he owns that. And he wants what now? More. 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 Sometimes God has to bankrupt you in order to get your attention. And don't think he won't do it. (laughs) He'll do it. God will take things away from you to get your attention. To get you, as some folks would say, to get on the good foot rather than the bad foot. See, God loves you. And because he loves and cares about us, he disciplines us. And he says, and he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty <coughs> of good things laid up for many years. Take life what? Easy. See, I like that uh, song that they sing in Annie. Easy Street. That's the street I want to be on. Easy Street. See, but in real life, there is no such thing. How many of you could contest that life is easy? Life was not meant to be easy. Life was meant to be challenging. Why? That brings your dependence on who? On him. That's why the scripture says that in each one, he that overcometh. You can overcome your challenges. You can overcome your problems. You can overcome the troubles and the things in life. You can overcome those things. And that's why God says, we are what? Overcomers. The people of God are overcomers. We're not runners from problems. We face the problem. We don't belittle the problem as though it's not there. We face the problem and we deal with it in hope that he's going to act and he's going to do and he's going to give us strength to deal with it. We face those things. And he simply says, okay, You want to have life easy and you want to just eat and drink and be merry. You want to party. Look what he says now. Because your riches cannot keep you. He says in that verse 19, and I'll say, who is the I? God says. See, Gus Brown's not going nowhere until God says it. And when God says it, I know absent from the body, present with the Lord, no matter who plans the funeral, a week later, two weeks later, I'm already gone. 
you're already gone. Because when God says it, guess what? You won't be late for that appointment. You'll be on time. You won't be tardy. You won't miss it by a day. You'll be right there on time. And he says, I'll say to myself, <coughs> you have plenty of goods, good things. But God said, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, all the money in the world won't change God's decision. All your titles won't change God's decision. But God said to him, you what? You fool. How many of us are acting foolishly? How many of us act foolishly when it comes to believing scripture? I put scripture over my condition. I put scripture over my feelings. I put scripture over because why? He wants to be what? Preeminent. He wants to be first. And he says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Now, what ransom would you pay God for another hour? How much would you give God for another year of life? Have you ever seen that movie called Time? Where the people were going to die at a certain time unless they could borrow some time from somebody else. See? The men sometimes, we kid, and I kid them down at the house sometimes. There'll be nine of us around the table talking, 11, and I'll tell them, I hope I get to do every one of y'all's funeral. The whole process is this. God holds our life in his hand. He knows the time. He knows it. And there's nothing I can give to change it. It's not about my title. It's not about other circumstances around, oh, God, my family needs me, my children. When God says, come up here, that's all it is. Lukewarmness robs us of the sincerity or the sincere love that we have for the Lord. It robs us from it. Go very quickly to <coughs> Romans chapter 12. Look at this and just grab hold to it because he tells us in verse 9, love must be what? Sincere. How many of you really love God sincerely? How many of you love him sincerely? And you allow nothing to stop you from serving him because of that love that energy, that zeal that you have. You really love the Lord. Jump over to verse 11 real quick <clears throat> in that same chapter. I think it's 11. He says, never be lacking in what? He didn't say that's because of this condition you can be lacking. 
He didn't say just because of your age you can be lacking. He says never be lacking in zeal. A desire what? To serve the Lord. A desire to serve the Lord. Because oftentimes, as we say, it's not about who. Now that's a good little saying. We just don't live up to it. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. Glorifying him, magnifying him, serving him. Lukewarmness moves you or moves us to a place where the scripture is not highly, is a high priority in our life. We don't see scripture over our feelings. We don't see scripture over our pain. We don't see scripture over our circumstances. We don't see scripture. Scripture becomes a secondary. Now God's not saying don't acknowledge your pain. Don't acknowledge your hurt. Don't acknowledge what's going on. That's not what he's saying. But hear me. Far too many people use any excuse for an excuse to not serve the Lord. Well, that's hard sometimes to say. But we take the simplest excuse. How many of you go to have gone to work when you're sick? How many of you going to work when you were just outright tired? You didn't get a good night's sleep. You are tired. You've been up with the children. You've been up chasing this or chasing that. But you went to work. The person we fall down on in service is the Lord. And he says, boy, whatever you do here, don't stop your zeal. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Stay hot for the Lord. Stay compassionate for the Lord. Keep him as the center of your eyes. Keep running for him. Then the very last, he says, lukewarmness undercuts the Christian life. It doesn't rob you of your salvation because if you're saved, you're saved. But what it does, it robs you from the richness of a life with Jesus. It undercuts your ability to believe God. It undercuts the Christian life where God tells us what to do, what is right, what is wrong. We're now the ones who decide what is right, how I feel, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, rather than trusting God. Two verses and we're done. Go back to in Romans 3.18. Go over to Titus for me. But in Revelation 3.18, he says, I counsel you. I'm giving you some good advice. Buy from me. Buy from me. Not from the world. I want to listen to my doctor. 
I hear my doctor. I got two doctor's appointments this coming month. One with the heart doctor and the regular doctor. I'm going to hear him. It'd be foolish not to hear him. But there's one person who overrides him. And that's Jesus. He gives the doctor to tell me truth. He doesn't give me the doctor to void him out. He's still my strength. He's still my healer. He's still the one. Titus 3, 5 and 8, we're done. <clears throat> Follow this. It's so rich right here. He says, he saved us. Now, you've got to ask yourself this question. Did God save you? And if he saved you, he saved you for a purpose. Now, when that purpose is over with, God has every right to call you home. When you have completed your purpose on a job, that company has the right to fire you. When they no longer need you in that place, they have a right to let you go. And when you have finished the course that God has laid out for you, we're all going to be called home. He saved us through the washing. (coughs) He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of what? Eternal life. Having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things to those who have trusted in God. Now the question is this, are you trusting God? Are you really trusting God? Are you trusting God? Have you ever prayed a prayer? And I've prayed this prayer often in these latter years. Lord, you have to hold me up. Lord, you have to hold me up. Lord, you have to keep me standing. How many of you pray that prayer? A couple weeks ago, my prayer was, Lord, you got to give me my next breath. Lord, you got to give me my next breath. Yes, the steroids, the breathing machine, the inhalers, and everything else. Lord, you got to give me my next breath. What do you really trust God for in your life? Because God brings us to a place in life. We trust his word. Trust him. Or we lean on our own understanding and how we feel and how we want to act and what we want to do rather than really just laying all at his feet and trust him. Father, we are a helpless people. And Lord, we need you. Need you every hour of the day, every minute of the day. 
We don't know, as you said to the church of Laodicea, you think you're rich, you think you're this, you think you're that, but I counsel you to come and buy of me true riches. And when we trust Jesus, we trust his counsel, we trust his word, we're in good hands. We're in good hands when we run this race that he has laid out for us. We're in good hands. We're in good hands when we believe his word above everything else, even our circumstances and the way things look. When we believe him, we're in good hands. We're in good hands. And Lord, we commend ourselves anew and afresh into your hands and into your keeping. You're the potter. Would declare, fashion us and use us according to your good and perfect will. And we'll give you the praise and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.